Chapter 5 Taking Control of Your Health Now 28 year old Barb worked as a teacher's aide. She was single and had no children. At 5 feet 4 inches tall and weighing nearly 300 pounds, she was considered morbidly obese. She was also pre diabetic and, when tested, was found to have elevated cholesterol and liver enzyme levels. Following those test results, she had an ultrasound that showed she had a fatty liver. When her primary care physician discussed those findings with her, he told her that she needed to lose weight or she would probably need a liver transplant within a few years. She was so frightened by that discussion that she did not follow up with him for over a year. At that point, still not feeling well and dealing with fatigue and depression, She finally went back to the same doctor. She didn't lose any weight, and a review of updated lab testing revealed no real changes in her health. But while she was interested in learning about her choices for turning her situation around, asking questions about options for weight loss surgery, referral doctors, online information, books, and potential medicines, she found the conversation to be one sided. In fact, In the middle of the conversation, the doctor left the room without a word and sent in his medical assistant to complete the visit. The medical assistant was out of the loop on Barb's situation, but did what she could to help answer Barb's questions. Still, Barb was mortified by what had happened and eventually sought me out for further evaluation of her liver and metabolic issues. In her first visit with me, She said we spent more time going over her situation and options than her primary care physician had spent with her over the last few years. This is an all too familiar story I hear repeatedly from patients. As a result of this, I have elected to engage myself, as well as my team, to a course of committing ourselves to listening to what the patients are saying, get a sense for where they stand emotionally. And provide them with the education and compassion they need to be successful in their wellness journey. The days of a patient going in to see a doctor, spending time talking about health issues, listening as the doctor explains the diagnosis, and then leaving with a fully fleshed out treatment plan are gone. That's the sad state America's healthcare system is in today. But that cannot stop patients from pursuing all they need to know to better manage their own health. With all the resources available today, it's time for patients to get involved in better understanding their care. It's time for patients to inform themselves about the treatment they are undergoing, the medications they're being prescribed, and the therapies being used. It's time for patients to be more than passive participants because that's no longer the way. To get the best outcomes from care. In other words, as the patient, you need to be a healthcare consumer. Now, I'm using the phrase healthcare consumer, even though it is a subject of passionate debate in the media and in the medical field. Those opposed to the use of the word consumer point to the fact that in healthcare, there is little or no room to directly impact the cost or the quality of the product. On some levels, that's true. In the current environment, you may be locked into certain insurance plans. 
you can't change the doctor's pricing and, in many cases, you can't change the quality of the care you receive. But I look at the situation from a different perspective. When patients put on their consumer hats, they're putting the healthcare system on notice. As consumers, patients must apply certain consumer basics to the interaction with the doctor, which means demanding better communication, better flow of information, and consequently, better care. Think of it this way. If you go to a restaurant and order a hot meal that is delivered to your table cold, you're going to demand better service. You're going to demand to get what you paid for. If you don't get it, you won't go back. The same could be true in healthcare. You're paying for the doctor to listen to you and provide care. That's a service for which you exchange money. If you aren't satisfied with the service, why go back? As I see it, doctors must be put on notice. They must understand that unless they and their staff provide better service, better communication, patients are going to go to another facility or another practice. That's why I view patients as consumers of healthcare. Physician Patient Communication 101. The goal then is to create a partnership where physicians work to serve patients and educate them about how to take care of themselves and patients follow through on treatment while working proactively to get themselves healthier and staying that way. We strive for a win-win proposition. Our patients' problems are related to obesity, metabolic syndrome, and fatty liver, and they aren't eating the way they should. Both medical and lifestyle interventions are required to make things right. Physicians need to be conscious that they are establishing meaningful therapeutic relationships with their patients. That means a relationship must be built between physician and patient through communication. There must be better communication from the doctor and more willingness from the patient to do more than just take a pill. Building that relationship means employing some basic measures which I like to call Physician-Patient Communication 101. Set expectations early. Especially when seeing a new provider, it's important to go into the first appointment with the mindset of setting expectations for the relationship. First and foremost, there must be an appreciation and respectfulness of the physician and the appointment time, but the patient must also be assertive enough to ensure communication about the type of relationship they expect. That communication must include how much the patient wants to be involved with their care, how much they expect to be able to participate in decision-making, and how much detail they want about treatment options. For some patients, that means little or no discussion and general instructions from the doctor. Here's what you have. Here's what I want you to do. Come back and see me in three weeks. For others, that means discussing everything from potential side effects of medications to upfront information about the potential progression of their disease to resources that can be used to gain more knowledge about their condition. When you set expectations, remember that they must be reasonable. For many patients, that means finding the best fit with a provider within certain parameters. Insurance and household finances may narrow the field of providers. For some patients, the best fit is worth the extra out-of-network costs. For others, it means working with a provider who is not the ideal fit for various reasons, 
but meets the patient's healthcare needs satisfactorily. With less than an ideal fit, it's going to be up to the patient to pursue outside resources to increase their knowledge. Communication will also be key. For instance, if you're the patient and your brother has colon cancer, which has made you especially attuned to the need for regular colonoscopies and results reported in a timely manner and in a way that you can understand, it will be up to you to share those expectations and follow through on communication. Get organized. Building a relationship of effective communication means being organized about care. Prior to the first appointment, patients must be ready to share their health history, including the health of family members. Any prior experience dealing with the disease or condition of concern should also be shared to give the physician a better idea of prior knowledge. For instance, if the patient acted as caregiver for a family member, close friend, or coworker who had the same condition or the patient witnessed the same condition in someone else, that information should be shared. If the diagnosis is, for example, diabetes, and there's a family history of diabetes, both parents had it, mom ended up on dialysis, and dad ended up losing his vision, the doctor needs to have that information. It can help the doctor better understand how familiar the patients are with the disease or condition and how much they might understand about their care on the road ahead. The doctor needs to know whether a diabetic patient already has experience in monitoring blood sugar and handling dietary needs. With all appointments, patients should be prepared in advance to be organized to make the most of the limited time spent with a provider. That means doing homework about their condition, keeping track and following through on instructions, and informing the doctor about their progress while pursuing recommended treatments. It also means active listening when the doctor is reviewing test results and data. And it means having questions written out ahead of time. For the sake of efficiency, patients should limit those questions to three or four well-pointed questions. The physician just won't have the time to answer 15 questions. If multiple physicians are involved, it may be necessary to bring the records from each provider to every appointment, along with an accurate list of medications and current conditions, such as daily blood pressure and blood sugar logs. In most cases, it's always a good idea, one I highly recommend, for patients to have family members or friends with them taking notes. That allows the doctor and patient to communicate undistracted while someone else records the discussion. Patients should ask for clarity on unfamiliar words or conditions and should not be afraid to mention hurdles in the relationship. For instance, when communication is not following the agreed-upon method. Know who to call. To ensure good communication flow, find out the best way to get answers when needed. Oftentimes, answers don't need to come directly from the physician, but can be relayed through someone else on the treatment team, such as a registered nurse, nurse practitioner, physician assistant, or medical assistant. Also, find out the best form of communication, email, phone calls, voicemail. With today's technology, some practices offer an online resource, such as a patient portal, where test results and other information can be obtained from a secure website. A number of my patients still send me handwritten letters through the mail that pose questions about their care 
or their test results. I don't mind these at all. Again, it's all about sharing expectations and setting up the most effective lines of communication. There are various ways to be connected to a care provider. Take the time to find out what those are and work within them. Don't end up in a healthcare black hole where you are just guessing at answers. Remember that healthcare providers are people too, and they may not understand the relationship early on. For instance, patients who don't feel well during an office visit may be misperceived by the care team as standoffish. If tests show a minor abnormality in a new area, such as a mildly elevated liver chemistry, a care team that only has about five minutes per patient or a doctor who is more concerned about low thyroid and diabetes may not go into detail about a liver test that is off by one point. In a case like that, it's up to you to follow up in the appropriate manner to get answers. That's why it's important to know how. Know when to move on. Another responsibility you have, as the patient, is to recognize when a physician is not the best fit. The reason to change may be based on style of communication, depth of detail you need to know about your case, patient-clinic-staff interactions, or trust. You shouldn't worry about hurt feelings, another common reason not to change providers. You need to be proactive and receive the care you require and feel most comfortable with. Most importantly, when it comes to dealing with the multiple characters that make up metabolic syndrome, obesity, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, fatty liver, there are a lot of issues to discuss with a physician in a very short amount of time. As with anything in life, the more moving pieces there are, the more complicated things can become. It's like juggling multiple balls in the air. Diabetes that is out of control is going to make blood pressure more difficult to control. Being overweight will make hypertension harder to control. Elevated cholesterol and triglycerides may require a different medical therapy than the other diseases. Add fatty liver to the mix, and depending on how much damage has already occurred, the ability to effectively make nutrition changes, implement an exercise program, or control blood sugar may be impaired. Metabolic syndrome really is a communication stress test for the patient, the doctor, and the care team. But the characters of metabolic syndrome can make it even more important to be able to understand, monitor, and get feedback on all the different systems. And that can create an even greater risk for poor communication and neglect. The pill mentality. Get over it. In Chapter 2, I mentioned how my conversation with patients who have fatty liver and metabolic syndrome include the need to improve their nutrition and other factors, but invariably ends up in the request for a prescription to fix their problem. Basically, they're telling me all the lifestyle changes are just a little too tough to undertake. They're not willing to start cooking. They're not willing to stop eating fast food for breakfast, lunch, and or dinner. They would rather just take a pill and make all their problems go away. That's a mentality that must be overcome because, when caught early enough, patients do have the ability to make lifestyle changes to turn around what can be a fatal complication. Trying to rely solely on medications to turn everything around is a mentality that society has to overcome. Patients who come to the clinic with a shopping bag full of medicines seem unfazed by this. 
It's not okay to be on 15 different medicines, especially when at least half of them can be eliminated by making a lifestyle change. Take, for example, heartburn and indigestion. Society has become so accepting of heartburn and indigestion because people know all they have to do is take a purple pill to relieve their discomfort. They'd rather do that than watch what they eat, keep an eye on their weight, and take a few minutes to exercise. They just want a quick fix from a pill instead of making the effort to change their lifestyle. In America today, the family physician is under attack in part because a population rife with chronic disease is living longer. Patients are surviving but with cardiovascular disease, congestive heart failure, lung disease, diabetes, kidney disease, endocrine problems, arthritis, and dementia. With so many patients, doctors are squeezed to fill needs. The problem has gotten so bad overseas, in England, the public health service is allowing only one problem to be addressed per visit. So, if you have hypertension, obesity, and a breast lump, then only the most serious of these is addressed. If you want to discuss or be tested for another problem, you have to come back a week or a month later with another scheduled appointment. That is not happening officially here in America, but you have to wonder if, at the subconscious level, a doctor is going to evaluate only the most obvious issue, the problem most apparent for those patients with multiple troubles. In a single appointment, Problems with the least noticeable symptoms are ignored. This is where you need to be proactive in your own health. That's where metabolic syndrome runs into serious problems. An obese person who goes to the doctor with a migraine is going to get relief for the headache, maybe in the form of a pill. But for the sake of time and resources, the doctor is not going to document the obesity as an active medical problem. That means the patient won't be referred to a dietitian or a weight loss and exercise program or a bariatric surgeon. The reason, I believe, is because the medical profession has become too comfortable with obese patients, not only the morbidly obese, but also those with moderate obesity. These patients are the new norm. There are other health issues to worry about when a person is obese. Back problems, cholesterol, blood pressure, depression, many that can be resolved with a prescription, but no one is tying everything together and pointing to obesity as the keystone for all the other issues. Numerous studies have even found that physicians have a negative attitude towards obese patients. They have less respect, provide less information, and express a less positive attitude towards patients who are obese. They view obesity as a self-inflicted problem. Obese patients are lazy and don't watch what they eat, as if people just instinctively know how to eat nutritiously. I've had patients confirm this treatment. They've told me that physicians tend to interrupt patients within 15 to 20 seconds after the patient begins the conversation. That interruption, they say, means the discussion is over. From that point on, they feel their concerns won't be addressed, so they just nod, take the doctor's orders, and go on their way. The interesting thing is that the obese patient, the vast majority of the time, has more medical problems, more needs. But the data suggests that physicians are not spending more time with the obese patient who has multiple problems. They're spending the same amount of time with a person 
who has only one medical issue to address. The obese patient with multiple medical problems is not getting any more face time, which ties back to the economic structure of healthcare today. Physicians aren't getting paid any extra for all of the face time these complex patients require. But if a patient with persistent high blood pressure that is never addressed in spite of numerous visits to the doctor has a massive heart attack and dies, that could be considered medical malpractice. If the doctor had never in a meaningful way mentioned blood pressure medicine, getting an EKG, checking electrolytes, nothing that would be viewed as not having met the minimum standard of care. It should be the same for obesity. Obesity is public enemy number one. It's time to adopt a zero-tolerance policy for obesity, fatty liver, or other obesity-related diseases, and that goes for patients and providers. We do it for other diseases. When a woman in America has a lump in her breast, the solution is to have it examined and then, if warranted, pursue aggressive treatment. When patients are found to have high blood pressure, they are immediately put on antihypertensives and told to exercise and lower their stress if they are to get it under control. But when it comes to obesity, a medical abnormality, no one is stepping up to say, something must be done now. That's why it's up to you, the patient, to no longer endure this kind of laissez-faire treatment. It's time for patients to stand up and say, doctor, my BMI is above normal and I don't know how to get it down. I need help. I need a referral to a nutritionist or a dietitian. I need to know the best online and local resources. The patient-physician relationship needs to be a partnership to address and overcome obesity with nutrition, exercise, and lifestyle changes before it becomes one of the characters of metabolic syndrome. Somebody has to connect the dots. Then the discussion about what to do can start. The greatest weapon, the desire to be well. Besides hope, the greatest weapon that we have as humans is the desire to get well and desire to feel better. That desire can keep people from becoming so frustrated and disillusioned that they give up trying to find a solution to their health care issues. There's no doubt there are conditions that are life-ending. There are certain malignancies that despite the best attitudes, eating right, exercise, following medications and therapies, and good communication, will cut a person's life short. But for people with a chronic medical condition, it's important to stay engaged as a healthcare consumer. It's important to be armed with the information to make better decisions. And it's important to have a very healthy therapeutic relationship with a physician and care team. Having everyone aligned, a healthy environment, and a positive mental attitude will maximize the chances of a much better outcome. As a healthcare consumer, you must adopt a zero-tolerance policy. You've got to step up and be proactive about your care. Learn to take it like a man or woman when it comes to hearing what you need to do to turn your health around. All too often, I hear that patients are insulted when a physician labels them as obese. Follow recommendations or find another provider whose treatment you feel better suits your needs. Ask questions in the time allotted during a visit and follow up in the best manner possible. 
Taking an active role in your health means learning how to eat better, and that starts with the point of sale. In the next chapter, I'm going to share insight to help you begin to better understand the food choices you make. More continuing medical education on obesity-related disorders. As a healthcare provider, I sometimes wonder if what doctors need is more continuing medical education on obesity-related disorders. The current requirements for CME vary from state to state, and some state medical boards do not require any ongoing CME. In Alabama, for example, 25 hours of CME are required per year, while California requires 150 hours within a three-year period, and Kentucky requires 60 hours every three years. I feel there's a need to develop a curriculum that is universal across all states that can bring everybody up to speed on metabolic syndrome, liver disease, and all the complicating factors, and establish universal resources for patients. Since obesity is public enemy number one, maybe the solution is to have dedicated courses in obesity and nutrition. In the state of Texas, physicians are required to have one hour of ethics. I'm not saying ethics is not important, but more people are going to die directly from obesity than from doctors who have ethical problems. So let's raise your health IQ for Chapter 5. Number 1. What's the maximum number of prepared questions you should have when you visit your doctor? Number 2. What benefit is there to having a family member or friend accompany you to the appointment with your doctor? Number 3. What is the pill mentality? Number 4. What negative attitudes do physicians have towards obese patients? Number 5. Why is the family physician under so much stress? Good luck in answering these important questions.